Hey, y'all, this episode is very, very, very powerful, but I wanted to give a big trigger warning off the top that there is a discussion around sexual assault and trauma, a bunch of hope, a bunch of healing, but that content is in this episode. So if that's triggering to you or any of the ears around you, please be mindful and maybe switch to another episode. We're digging in how to find self-compassion through deep, deep Welcome to another episode of Happy Brain. My name is Heather Parody, and thank you for joining us as we explore the fun side to mental health by digging into the simple hacks and fun tips to make your mental health journey more enjoyable and your brain a little happier. Today's guest, Joe Weatherford, is rewriting the story of addiction. She helps professionals and families deepen their understanding of addiction through trainings, retreats, speaking events, and private coaching. She says that, well, she likes to help people who help people. Joe shares with us her powerful story today about how she was able to find self-compassion through deep pain. But before we get started, friends, we have a survey that we're asking our listeners to take. It enters you into getting an awesome little gift card. We just want this show to be more impactful, help you on your mental health journey more and more and more. And so we need you. We need to give your feedback, your thoughts, your requests. You can go to survey.happybrain.fm. It's also linked in the show notes. And again, we're going to be giving out some gift cards as a thank you to random participants. Thank you for helping us help people's brains. Make them happy. Now, listen, when we talk about happiness, you know, a misconception a lot is that it's uh, maybe a denial of, of pain. Maybe it's toxic, right? But as we've mentioned over and over and over again on the show, and we will continue to do so. We never want to take away from the very real journeys that you and I, all of us as humans, have to walk through in life, which requires pain and suffering and hardship, different degrees and levels, of course. There's so much we can learn through those journeys. And when I reached out to Joe, I, I loved her Instagram. I loved how powerful her content was. And when I reached out to her that said, hey, you know, you've you've lived through some stuff, lady, <laughs> and yet you embody so much hope. Do you have a tip for our listeners on on how they can stay mentally healthy, keep their brain happy? And she said, yeah, you know, understanding that things happen not to you, but for you. And when she said that, I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I've heard that before, but sometimes embodying that is so much different, right? It wasn't until much later in life. I mean, I had been wrecked by my addiction. I was really, really at the end of my rope. I mean, it, it was, it had gotten that bad and I had something really terrible happen to me, which I know is triggering, but I'll go ahead and say I was raped. And it was the first time that I actually felt sadness for myself. You know, um, culturally, I think, especially as women, but I don't even want to say that we are taught that it's our fault, yep. you know, through subliminal messaging, through outright, like, oh, you shouldn't have worn that, or you drank too much. And you know, of course, the reality is you should be able to lie naked in the street and be as hammered as you want, and nobody should touch you. Come on. But I have been so indoctrinated into this idea that when bad things happen, it is your fault. That when this happened and I knew it wasn't my fault, I had this 
feeling that I had never had before, which was sadness for myself, compassion for myself. I actually, instead of turning on myself, I turned into myself and I really felt this grace and sadness that this had happened. From that moment, that one spark of compassion for myself is then what prompted me to get sober because suddenly I didn't hate myself anymore. So what was not not possible at all was suddenly possible. Then I was able to move into this place where I saw, did I want to be raped? Hell no, of course not. You know, did I deserve it? Of course not. Um, did I grieve it? Yes. Am I still dealing with it? I'm sure I am. So I don't want to minimize it in any of those ways. It was the catalyst for this magnificent change. And again, I'm really careful telling that story. I told it once kind of a, um, a G rated version at Auburn University. And it was so interesting because so many students came up to me afterwards and said, man, that really changed my life. Like what you just said, but I had this one young woman come up to me and say, I loved your talk, but it broke my heart because I've been assaulted and I've never felt that way. I've never felt compassion for myself. I've never felt that grace. So I always like to say when I tell this story that it took me many years to get there, many years to get there after it happened. And that I really believe healing is always possible. And so if you haven't had that moment of love and compassion for yourself, I believe it will come and that's okay because even your lack of it is still serving you in some way. Thinking about the compassion piece, if someone listening is is like that young lady is, you know, bravely said, you know, I've never felt compassion for myself. Is there a way to foster that or learn that? I mean, what were the steps that you took to be able to reframe this horrific situation as, you know, something again, that's happening for you? Well, ironically, when it first occurred, it was very unconsciously the the self-compassion looking back on it. I wasn't even really aware that it had happened, but I got asked the other day, what allowed you to get sober? And I knew it was the compassion that I felt. So then I get sober. And then even after that, it was years later, driving home one night randomly, that I was able to actually feel the compassion that I believe was just running under the surface. And and that's what's so difficult about the human psyche is that, you know, so much of our programming is below the surface. I mean, it's truly in our subconscious. And so, you know, that's where talk therapy and, you know, doing all the things we do to try and help ourselves can sometimes be so frustrating because we're not getting deep enough into the unconscious, which is what is dictating our automatic programming. So I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but truly the process was, even though I didn't feel it, it's like that fake it till you make it thing. So once that happened to me, I tried to feel compassion for myself. Um, I, I tried to catch those thoughts every time I thought, this is your fault. You deserve this. Of course, this happens to you. This is what happens to you. You know, replaying old narratives. Like many people, I had been assaulted as a child. And so, you know, we tend to re-experience those 
um, in a way, I think, to try and heal them. But anyway, I, I decided this time I was really going to try to catch and release those thoughts that every time I had a conscious thought that this was my fault, I would say, no, no, this wasn't. And this shouldn't have happened to me. And again, it took me a really long time before I actually believed it. But I would just say it, you know, mm-hmm. and then, of course, I did all the other things. I went to therapy. Um, I really tried to do things to nurture myself, um, whatever little things they were. But it it was definitely a process. And like I said, it was years later that I, I was actually just driving home. This thought popped in my head and I went, oh, my God, I actually feel compassion for myself. Like, this is amazing. So it was it was a very, very twisted, contorted, nonlinear process. What does compassion for yourself feel like? The other day I had this thought I'm a little girl. So that's the first piece. It usually helps to imagine ourselves as a child because even as adults, we're able to see and embrace more of our innocence. So I picture myself as this little four-year-old sitting on the edge of a dock, like just kicking her feet off the side and she's sad. And I don't even know what she's sad about, but there was this person next to her that was her dear friend. And again, it wasn't a specific person. It was, it was a feeling of this human connection that was sitting next to me that just had their arm around me. And I could feel that like, no matter what I said, or I did, or I admitted, or, you know, no matter what it was, they were just going to say, it's okay. I still love you. I'm getting to that point now where again, I notice the places I make myself wrong. And I'm not talking about being a sociopath and just like going around the world like a terrorist, just, you know, and then never feeling any guilt about anything. But what I am saying is, is being able to analyze and look at my behavior through compassionate lens, which is like, okay, I still love you. Maybe that wasn't, you know, the best way to do that. But I choose to love you. Mm. And we're going to do it together differently moving forward. You know what I mean? Instead of that sh- shame, which I get into arguments all the time with people, I should say arguments, but disagreements where they say, you know, shame is a really critical feeling. And I really believe it's not. Um, mm. I think, you know, guilt is great. Yeah. We need to look at our behavior. We need to be able to see, you know, did we hurt someone? Did we act out of alignment? You know, and that feeling of like, oh, yes, I did. That to me is guilt. Shame is I am bad. And for me, that is a frequency that I don't do well in. The more ashamed I feel, the more my defense mechanisms come out, the more I close my heart, you know, the more I repeat behaviors and ways of being in the world that I wouldn't normally I mean, it's so interesting, but it is so true that that love that like, I choose you that I'm not going to leave you that I am going to be with you and support you on your cheerleader. I'm your partner. You know, that, that real, like unconditional self-love is the key to it all. And it begins with this statement. This is happening for me and not to me. Is that just a cognitive thing that you choose to say to yourself until you start seeing it? Um, yes. So what I like to do is just reflect on, you know, different situations that have happened. And again, when I am in blame and I am in victim mentality, 
And let me clarify, things happen that shouldn't happen. Like there are moments that we are are truly victimized. Um, So I'm not negating that at all. But what I do is I check in with myself. And first, I let myself be a victim. You know, I let myself fall apart, you know, and my rule is sometimes, you know, you get an hour and sometimes you get five minutes. You never get more than a day. You get to fall apart for a day, but then we move in a direction that's healing. And again, if you have lost someone or something, you know, major tragedy has happened, obviously that timeline is going to look a lot different. It's not like, oh, I just lost a parent 24 hours later, I'm out of it. So not implying that at all, but I'm talking about those, you know, those little wounds, you know, like those triggers, those, oh, he ignored me or I got my feelings hurt. Again, that's where I go, okay, am I blaming? Am I turning on myself? Am I shutting down? Am I making them wrong? Am I putting my energy externally into solving this problem by blaming and feeling sorry for myself? Again, there is a time for that. And I love EFT, you know, the emotional freedom Mm -hmm. technique, the tapping Because you really do. You get to be like, I can't believe that happened to me. I can't believe they said that to me. You know, I'm so wounded. This feels so old. I hate this happened, you know, and you go on that rant and then you slowly move out of it, which is, you know, the really critical piece. Because again, we don't heal in victim consciousness. When my body is vibrating with the frequency of I am a victim, I don't heal. At some point for me, I choose to take a situation and reframe it. I mean, my addiction is a perfect example. I mean, it was hellacious. Like I could spend hours telling you every awful thing that happened. But I am so thankful my addiction got as bad as it did because if I had only been like 70% of the alcoholic I was, I may never have stopped drinking. Like I was such a high functioning alcoholic. For me, like even that, I am so thankful that I completely unraveled because that's what got me to treatment. And I see it all the time. These people that are just below the line where, and you know, they call it hitting rock bottom. I certainly don't think you need to do that. For me, I needed to, but you know, they're able to exist in this, this world that's just murky and disconnected and you know and for me I really my my hope would be they would would find their way out and not have to do what I did and speaking of hope you have tons of content that breathe hope out into this world where can people find you online and what would you like to promote today it's joeweatherford.com and from there that can link you to all my social media um I run retreats down here in Cabo uh a lot of what I do is I like to say I help people who help people so I spent 10 years training people how to do therapy and so motivational interviewing um yep just the way to view addiction um, is so is so different through my lens. Again, just finding the beauty, staying hopeful. And so that's really what my content is about. And I like to give that disclaimer because again, a lot of times we aren't ready for that. And trust me, it is not, you know, toxic positivity or spiritual right. bypassing. It's not like 
We sit in pain for sure. I mean, that is addiction is the inability to not do that. So my goal is, is to create an opportunity and to hold space in such a nurturing way that we are able to sit with those really horrific feelings and then also, you know, move forward. And I am a firm believer that your trauma wasn't your fault. Yeah. But your healing is your responsibility. I I really firmly believe we have the choice of how we want to respond rather yeah. than react to negative situations. Amen. And again, that doesn't mean we don't grieve. We don't feel. Yeah. This idea that we're supposed to be happy all the time is just absolute nonsense. I mean, yeah. unless you had a traumatic head injury that went really well for you and just shut off some part of your brain or, you know, your Eckhart Tolle or something like, no, that's not true. But it's in those moments of pain that we get to practice. And that's also what makes it interesting. You know, like if you played a video game where you just won every level, you would never play that game again, you know? So we have to remember that like our being wants to be tested. Now we can pray and ask for easier tests, which I do all the time. But every test truly is an opportunity to find beauty, to find grace, to step deeper into the truth of who and what we are. I hope this gave you some hope today, my friend. No matter what you're walking through, have walked through, we want you to know that we care about you. We love you. We believe in you to keep fighting. There's so much more left in you. Now listen, whether it is using a board of directors to find answers to your questions, using a reverse to-do list so you'll stop beating yourself up, or finding self-compassion even through deep, deep pain, we just hope you take a moment for yourself today, my friends, and keep that brain of yours happy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Happy Brain. If you enjoyed this, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an extra second, leave us an honest review over on iTunes or your Apple podcasting app. And until next time, my friends, keep that brain of yours happy. Happy.